Station 13 may cover topics that are not suitable for all listeners, such as death, body gore, and homicide, not to mention the paranormal. We also like to swear on occasion. Viewer discretion is advised. Welcome back to Station 13. Grab a glass of wine and put your kids to bed. This is DJ Void, signing back on. On top of today's episode, we have an urgent call to aid for those affected by the Hawaiian fires. As some of you may be aware, these fires roared through Maui earlier this month, and there are reportedly around 388 people still unaccounted for. While the start of these fires are still being investigated, it seems they are currently blaming Hawaii Electric for not taking proper precautions with the power lines. This has left several Hawaiians disheveled, with a loss of family members, jobs, and housing. It is our time as a community to donate what we are able to. So if you have some money you wouldn't mind parting with, now is the time. There is a link on our Community Causes page located on thestation13.com that will send you to a Google Documents page of current GoFundMes for those affected. I personally will be donating to a few of them with money I am able to part with, so all I can ask is that some of you find it in your heart to do the same. Remember, the Community Causes page is there to help. If you find yourself in a situation where you are in need of help, feel free to reach out through the website mentioned above to be added to the Community Causes page. Thank you. Hello everyone and welcome back to Station 13. It's lovely to have all of you here with us again today. Before we get too far into today's show, however, I just want to applaud everyone for the biggest state scare turnout yet. It's recorded that a whopping 5.5 million people showed up to enjoy. The mayor of Whitewater, Professor Bite's staff, also reports that they managed to raise enough money to return Whitewater scoops back to their town. If you couldn't make it to this year's state scare, whether that be due to an unexpected trip, parallel universe travel issues, or because you're from out of state, do not worry! The collectors out there can still grab merch through thestation13.com. Alright, back into the meat of it. It seems this morning I received an email marked urgent from Garth, and an mp3 file titled Breaking News. Let's take a listen to that, shall we? Hello everyone, Autumn here once again with your news. Unfortunately, Garth has had to take the beast outside his window to a specialty vet in Iowa, so you're once again stuck with me. Jumping off of that, I come back today with some breaking news. Last show, Void and the rest of us informed you of the annual state scare, and it seems many of you showed up to enjoy the festivities it provided. However, it has come to our attention that the delicious fried fish many of you may have consumed was expired and meant for the cryptid rodeo. Seems they mixed up the orders. So, here is your reminder if you are feeling the effects. Drink lots of water, and simply pray to the gods. It will be over shortly. Following that, it seems the consequences you were warned about have been revealed to us. This morning, several houses were discovered covered in the excrement of the giant birds that rule the sky. Some were even found to be empty, with the residents now being recorded as missing persons. 
Keep your eye out for your neighbours, folks. For now, back to you, Boyd. Oh my, Autumn, thank you so much for taking the time to cover for Garth. I do hope the big critter gets better soon. I'll also be rather honest. I'm not entirely surprised by the fish being rotten. Quite frankly, I don't really trust fish being served by large, sentient raccoons. This is probably why I only indulge in the popcorn from the state scare. Now, mind you, it's not that I do not trust the giant sentient raccoons themselves. I simply do not trust their nose, and what smells good to them could be disgusting for us. They are cute to look at, however. I will give them that. Anywho, I also have some other exciting things sitting in my email waiting to be read. It seems the Reddit story I shared last week was a hit among some, so I was sent two more I may find intriguing. Let's see, it looks like this first one was posted in r slash nightmares by an anonymous OP. Its title being, Looking for Someone with a Strong Stomach. Ooh, what an interesting title. Why don't we dig into the meat of it? I, 35 male, recently accepted a job off of Craigslist. It seemed simple enough, just a clearing job offering a decent sum for the work. I've included the ad here for everyone curious. Looking for someone with a good aim and a strong stomach to clear a property. Offering $1,000 upon completion. Contact Lennox at the Four Clover Inn. I've done several of these types of jobs throughout my life after I was relieved from the military, but I've never seen one offering 1K for a simple hour-long task. Honestly, I thought I hit the damn jackpot, as the usual pay for a clearing job would only be about $300. Edit. Okay, I realized I never stated what a clearing job was. To put simply, it's an extermination job. You go into a property and dispatch of any unwanted entities or smaller-level cryptids that have overrun the place. The main culprit is usually a cabbage rat, which, to be fair, aren't much of a hassle. Upon contacting the woman behind the ad, I was given a rundown of the location and the borders of the land I would be taking care of. We set up a date and I was given a small sum of $200 up front to purchase any material I may need to get the job done. I proceeded to arrive on the specified date and after loading up my supplies, I grabbed my bag and started heading for the main house. I always work from the inside out and then back in to make sure I'm thorough. I'll be honest, the main house wasn't much of a looker, but with the price I was being paid, I'm just going to assume the land had value. Heading inside, I was struck with the most nauseating smell. A smell etched so firmly in my memory that I almost turned tail and ran. But this is why I always bring a decent respirator. I threw one of the three I brought with me on and made my way up the stairs into the attic to start getting things underway. What greeted me there was definitely something I couldn't even make up in my nightmares. Piled there in the attic was a stack of ten or so bodies, varying from human to entity, all of which were missing a limb or two. This was about the time that I had started praying, for whatever I was called here to deal with was no fucking cabbage rat. I remember making my way out of the house and calling the woman that gave me the job. We didn't exchange too many words, but in the end she gave me permission to just burn the whole house down and start from there. So after contacting the fire department and getting anything out the woman may deem valuable, I did just that. 
I proceeded to let the property sit for a day, allowing the fire to burn out and the ashes to lose their heat. Of course, when I returned, I realized how difficult this job would actually be. With the house no longer standing, it was visible that what I would be exterminating was none other than a vampire mole. Possibly a nest of them. Evident only by the clear passages and tunnels that were concealed by the old building. Just great, honestly. A giant murderous rodent. At least whoever owned this place didn't have to worry about thieves, mainly because their bones now lay in the ash pile. I called the cops, of course, to come retrieve the bones, all the while keeping an eye out for a blood-stained star nose to come poking out of the ground. Of course, that didn't take too long as more people flooded the grounds, and before we knew it, we were face to face with a six-foot beast. I won't lie to anyone here. I did almost piss my pants at the sight of it, towering over my own shorter frame and baring its teeth. Luckily, these pricks aren't bulletproof and with a few good shots I had downed it. Once the police left, I took my time to drop into the tunnels below the land, scouring for any more of the fuckers that may have made a nest here, and laying poison on the paths. Ironically, I did run into some cabbage rats in the tunnels, but they aren't really threatening after what I had just encountered, and were quickly dispatched. Unfortunately, though, I did run into more corpses. However, they were much older and had rotted to pretty much bone by that point. I told the police about them once I made sure the land was secure, and made sure to call the landowner after everything was said and done. What she told me on the final phone call was a kind of heartbreaking. I'll paraphrase here. That house was my father's, and until recently I never would have known what happened to him. Those bodies you found in the tunnels? That was him and his brother. When he stopped contacting me a couple years ago, I just assumed he had finally disowned me for marrying someone he didn't approve of. But now I know it wasn't my fault. The stuff you saved from the house was actually from my mom. Stuff I never thought I'd see again, so thank you. Thank you so much. It seems when her father stopped contacting her, she assumed he hated her. Turns out the truth was much worse, and he and his brother tried to fight the vampire mole alone, and lost. Honestly, after everything is said and done, I was just glad I could give this woman closure, and refused payment past the initial $200 she had given me. Even pointed her in the direction of someone who could dig out the home's old blueprints, and probably rebuild a replica for her. Though I'll probably hold off on clearing jobs for a while after this one. Well, that story at least had a happy ending, and the OP managed to come out alive to tell it. Now, the OP did mention two creatures that I have not brought up on the show yet, and as some of my listeners proved to be from other dimensions, or even isolated bunkers, I figure, why don't I try and explain them to you? Alright, first off, we have the infamous Cabbage Rat. While the name seems silly, these rodents breed at an alarming rate. Right up there with rabbits and regular rats, actually. 
They are about the size of a medium dog and are prone to raiding farms for vegetables and chickens. It's not uncommon to find them on abandoned property, and the Wisconsin Department of Paranormal and Cryptid Activity lists them as a Class II animal, meaning they are a threat to small animals and children. On the other hand, the OP mentioned the vampire mole. These creatures are really no different than your average garden mole, outside of the fact that they can get up to six feet in height and have a carnivorous appetite. Their burrows aren't entirely linked to one environment over another, and they commonly dig through cable lines unintentionally. They are ranked as a Class Three animal by the WDPCA, meaning they are dangerous to humans, even in numbers of 100 to 1. With my quick explanation out of the way, let's take a short commercial break before jumping back into the other story I have waiting for you. Thank you everyone for joining us today on Station 13. Today we are highlighting Lyric Dimmig of Lapcat Creations and Rain of Paracosm Entertainment. Lyric provided Station 13 with its wonderful podcast cover art, the opening tune, and their voice as Garth Strongwater. If you like their work or would like to view other pieces they have for sale, including some very cute knit items, check out their website, lapcatcreations.square.site. That's L-A-P hyphen C-A-T hyphen C-R-E-A-T-I-O-N-S dot square dot site. Rain lends their voice to our wonderful weathercaster, Misk, and you can find their voice elsewhere on their podcast, Onward and Onward, and Paracosm Entertainment on Twitch and YouTube. Would you like your horror story to be featured on Station 13? Or maybe your own favorite local cryptid? And what about your newest music? Maybe you even wish to support what we endeavor to do here and help our staff feed their fluffy co-hosts. Well, head over to thestation13.com. That's T-H-E-S-T-A-T-I-O-N 13.com for the link to our Patreon and submission information. We'll see you there. All right, this next story was posted in r slash relationships by another anonymous OP. It's titled, Help, My Boyfriend is Glued to the TV. Well, that title seems oddly mundane, but let's take a look anyway, shall we? My, 29 male, boyfriend, 28 male, started binging a new show a few days ago, and I can't get him off the couch. Initially, my boyfriend had asked me if I'd like to binge a new show on Hulu with him, but I unfortunately had to decline because my thesis was due relatively soon. Instead of waiting for me to be done with my work to watch it together, my partner, I'll just call him Jack, decided to start watching it without me. I don't really enjoy when he does this, as I really do enjoy the time we get together when we start watching new shows, but I didn't put too much thought into it. For the first night, everything seemed normal. He seemed like he was enjoying the show, and I was able to work on my thesis without him bugging me every twenty minutes or so. He did come to bed a little later than normal, but I didn't think too much of it, as I went to bed later than I normally did as well. The next day, I went to work before he was up, and figured we'd see each other that night after he got off of work. He works second shift, and I work first so I made plans to pick up some takeout for him to come home to. 
You could say my shock was visible when I walked into the house at 6 p.m. that night. Takeout in hand, and he was still stuck in front of the TV. I asked him why he wasn't at work, and he said he got the day off because of a scheduling error. Again, not something that concerned me initially, as this wasn't totally uncommon. So I just set out the food in front of him and went back to my thesis. He seemed slightly irritated by my presence blocking the TV, but I ignored it, as it's the look my dad would give me when I blocked the TV during football games as a kid. Fast forward to that night as it reached around 1am, I closed down my laptop and started getting ready for bed. I tried calling Jack into bed as well, but all I got was a grunt of a reply. This got under my skin a bit, as he knows I don't sleep well in the bed alone, but I had no real energy to fight when I needed to be up at 5am for work. So I threw a blanket out on the couch for him and got myself to sleep with some melatonin. The next morning, when I woke up, he wasn't in bed next to me. Assuming he managed to pass out on the couch, I went out to check on him. The show was still playing on the TV, and he was still wide awake, totally engrossed in it. I grabbed the remote and paused it, and asked why he was still up, and he snapped at me. Ranting and raving about how I didn't have the right to pause the TV, and that I needed to get the fuck off of his back. This seemed very out of character. But as someone that hates confrontation, I just threw the remote back at him, reminded him he worked today, and headed off to get to work before I was late. Just as I was clocking out that afternoon, I got a phone call. It was Jack's boss asking where he was as he didn't show up yesterday or today. After explaining what Jack told me, and being informed that he indeed had work last night, I reassured him that Jack was alright and told him I'd get to the bottom of it. Returning home that afternoon, Jack's favorite fast food in hand, I was greeted by our cat screaming for his own supper. Usually Jack is on top of feeding him, but I guess even that is a distraction from his show now. I set my stuff down in the kitchen and brought the food out to the living room, to be met with his bloodshot eyes. It was evident that he hadn't slept since the day before, so I set the food down in front of him and took a seat next to him. This time, the food garnered no reaction. It's like he didn't even comprehend that I had entered the room. I tried waving my hand in front of his face, which elicited some form of growl out of him, but through the entire five-minute interaction, he didn't even blink. I'm now writing this at my desk in the living room as I keep an eye on him. I tried moving him by force, but he wouldn't budge. I gave his boss a call and was able to set up a temporary leave for him, claiming a family member had died. But I don't know how long he'll be okay like this. The only actual movement I've seen from him was when he watched the last episode of the show and went back to episode one. Yet he still hasn't blinked. I'll probably call a doctor tomorrow when things are open again, but for now, does anyone have any advice? What the hell's going on? Now, this post kind of leaves us on a cliffhanger, it seems. Who knows if this man Jack ever broke the trance of the TV. Luckily, the post is a few days old and we do have an update waiting for us. Let's check it out. Hey everyone, I want to assure you that I did take proper action and get a hold of a doctor. They gave me instruction to cover his eyes with a wet paper towel and, while attempting to do so, 
Jack went feral and managed to wrestle me to the ground, breaking my arm in the process. I had to call 911. The doctors say Jack was suffering from a weird form of parasite in his brain. As stupid as this whole thing is, the parasite has an even stupider name. The doctor I talked to after Jack was brought in calls it the binge bug, a parasite that attaches itself to the brain so it can take control of the body, a parasite that is particularly fond of color, and more importantly, garbage TV. Luckily, they managed to get him on some antibiotics that'll slowly kill it through the blood supply, and plan to operate if that doesn't work. I know a lot of you asked what show he was binging in the first place, and I'm kind of ashamed to admit it was Fuller House. It looks like for now they'll be keeping him in a special ward at the hospital. Despite the broken arm, I'm mostly fine, though I may have to reconsider the relationship, as I can't even look at Jack right now without being scared of him. For now, thanks for the help and pushing me to call a doctor. Holy hell, I didn't know something like that even existed. Honestly, just kind of assumed this Jack character was off his rocker and finally showing his true colors. I really hope OP is okay and that things work out for him in the future. Alright, with the Reddit story cleared out of my email, let's head over to our newest segment, Cryptid Watch. Hello everyone and welcome to Cryptid Watch. My name is Autumn and I will be your eyes on the stranger happenings across the planet. Today, I bring you news from the country of Japan. Yeah, you heard me correctly, Japan, the country we saw sink a few years ago. As you may or may not know, Japan resurfaced last year and since then, the people have been diligently working on repairing the structures that went down with it. During these repairs, they have come across some strange objects. These objects are roughly the size of a basketball and shaped like eggs. However, they glow a deep blue and seem to be made out of volcanic rock. We don't quite know what will hatch from these eggs, but for now they're held under lock and key in an unnamed location off the shores of the now re-emerged country. I'll keep you updated if new developments arise, but for now, back to you, Void. Thank you, Autumn, for your report. I do hope this strange object doesn't turn out to be anything too crazy. It's bad enough that Japan sank. I can only imagine what kind of fresh hell would occur if it became overrun with cryptids now as well. Well, anyway, back to the show at hand. I actually got a physical letter in the station's mailbox the other day. It was sent by my friend Emily, who used to freelance for Station 13, as one of our many field reporters. I figured I better share it with you all because it holds news of the actual station I used to work for, and not good news at that. Dear Void, First off, let me thank you for inspiring me to get back into reporting by bringing back your show. Honestly, I probably wouldn't have become a reporter at all if it wasn't for you and Eclipse back in the day. Before then, I had no idea what to do with my life. Thanks to you, I actually went to community college for reporting and journalism which landed me the freelancing gig I did for your old station back in the day. This time around, though, I actually applied to the old station, 
and somehow even managed to get hired. Though the station is now under some peculiar management. I'm writing to you about that, actually. Well, to be more fair, this is a cry for help, I guess. They automatically check all my emails, but don't seem to pay much mind to the letters I send out. So I hope this made it to you. Since the first day I came in, I've been locked in a back office. A list of rules and regulations was sitting on my desk with a struggling iMac. The list doesn't seem weird on the surface, but it's unnerving. One of the regulations mentions that I have four breaks a day, consisting of breakfast, lunch, dinner, and rest. I've been here a few weeks, and so far my only interaction with others is the brief moment I have food delivered to the door. If I try to leave the actual office, I black out, and wake up back at the desk with a write-up in my hands. After the third attempt, I kind of gave up, to be honest. I don't want to imagine what firing is like around here if I can't even go home. I've included my parents and roommates' info in this letter, so if you could call them or get a hold of them for me, I'd be really grateful. I tried sending them letters first, but I don't think they ever got them, so you're my last hope. Thanks, Bunches. Emily. Now, my captive audience, I beg you not to worry. I read this letter when I received it and managed to reach out to the authorities, Emily's parents, and the WDPCA, just in case. They are actively working on retrieving Emily from the old station, and investigating their labor practices. I am simply sharing this with you all as a warning. Always read the contracts you are presented when going through the hiring process at new companies. If you find yourself caught in this kind of situation, reach out any possible way you're able to. People will help you. The same can be said for relationships. It is never too late to get advice or help. Now, on to the weather. Hey everyone, Miss back at you again with the weather. It seems the rain and the heat have finally left us for the year. While we may still see sprinkles or random heat spike, we are officially through the worst of it. So feel free to do a little celebratory dance. I know I am. Of course, stay on your toes as the windy season is officially ramping up. We are looking at winds starting at 30 miles per hour next week across the midwestern region of the country. The southern and eastern parts of the country, however, should be looking at a much more manageable 15 miles per hour. That being said, remain alert as there's always the possibility, however small, that we see winds ramp up as high and as miserable as 70 miles per hour all across the country. Alright, well that's all I have for you today. I... I have to go deal with the giant bird caught in a power line, so back to you, Void. Oh, Misk, your love for giant birds is without fail. I do hope you don't end up in the hospital again this time. I'm also quite concerned about the winds coming in. I truly hope it stays in the low range for the Great Heron migration. Yes, that's right, folks, it's time for the Great Heron migration. You can head over to High Cliff State Park to catch a glimpse of these 40-foot-tall feathered friends before they leave us for the winter. They usually rest there for a good four days before continuing to head south. There will be local vendors available if you come hungry, and even a feeding event held around noon each of those days where you can present fish to the lovely creature. 
Now, I told you all last show that I'd be doing a report on the Beast of Busco. While I do still intend to make this report, I intend to push it off one more week in favor of a much more interesting update. Last show, we were all made aware that there was more than one weaver out there. Since then, the United States Department of Paranormal Encrypted Research has put out a public report on the creature, and I figured that's what we'll cover today instead. Let's dive into it. Full Weaver Report via USDPCA Species Omen Arachnid Homunculus Estimated Current Population 5. All located in the United States Habitat Heavily wooded areas found by running water Diet Omnivorous Consumes small animals, humans, and fruit Omen arachnid homunculus were first documented in 1723 in the woods of Maine. Their appearance has been quite consistent, consisting of a tall frame standing at anywhere between six and nine feet, the body of a spider with a visible abdomen like an ant, and six arms sprouting from the torso. Its whole outward appearance finishes with eight glowing green eyes and two protruding fangs on the side of its face. They are incredibly volatile creatures, known for luring and gutting humans to add them to their macabre collection of puppets. This creature has avoided study and detection due to their nomadic and violent nature, leading to any omen caught by the public to suffer quick execution by fire, or to wipe out the entire town populace before word could spread. Fire surprisingly seems to be the only method seen as 100% effective. The journals we have been able to collect regarding the creature all verify its preferred habitat and unusual desire to create puppets. If you have any concerns that an omen arachnid homunculus is in your area, do not hesitate to call the USDPCA or your local branch of paranormal encrypted activity. These creatures are extremely dangerous and should be not left to live unchecked. Wow, that is probably the shortest report I've ever seen from the USDPCAR. But I suppose there isn't much information to go off of. Alright, before we wrap up the show, I have one more story for you all. Many of you were intrigued by the old story I shared about little Norma. So I reached out to my mother to see if there are any other old wives' tales she remembers. She admitted my grandmother told her a lot of stories that scared her but she had stories from her actual childhood that would beat any of them. She wouldn't tell me exactly what happened herself, but she did give me a stash of her old journals to piece the story together myself. So let me read to you what I was able to piece together. I'll be reading from her point of view, and chronologically to the best of my ability, so try and stay with me. For now, we'll start with a story that involves an uncle I didn't even know I had. October 8th, 2006. Mom finally gave me permission to go out this weekend by myself. I'm 16, so honestly I'm practically an adult, and yet I still had to beg her. And I still have to be home by 9. I don't understand why. Sam can do whatever he wants at 14, and yet I'm barely allowed outside other than school. Anyway, I've been trying to figure out what to wear. Alice says I should wear my blue dress. 
but it feels kind of childish covered in the sunflowers. I wish she could join me, but her mom won't let her out and about either. Yet her brother is twelve and allowed to be out until ten. Honestly, why are all the girls not allowed to do anything fun? Anyway, I think I'll wear the green overall dress and some nice flats. Mom said I can't wear anything too hard to walk in. Just in case. October 10th, 2016 Well, I was supposed to be out tonight, but my mother got a letter and said I had to wait. She wouldn't show it to me, so I snuck out once she fell asleep and found it stashed behind the bread box. I normally wouldn't do that kind of thing, but she wouldn't let Sam go out tonight either. He even told me his whole football game got cancelled. I just had to know why, so I snagged the letter and, well, it made no sense. It said something about a new curfew ordinance starting at 6pm. I mean, I've heard of this happening before, but usually it was a more reasonable 8 or 9. Apparently kids have been going missing more frequently, specifically male children. I know our town always had a mild issue with little girls going missing. Every month a new handful of missing posters would pop up of girls varying in ages from 9 to 17. I didn't really pay mind to it because they were never from my school. I'm really starting to get frustrated with being cooped up. I hope this lifts soon. October 21st, 2006 It's been about five days since I was last able to leave the house. Sam's stuck here, too, ever since school got cancelled. Mom won't tell me why, either. She's just very adamant that we stay inside. She's just pacing across the living room like the world is about to end. Dad hasn't been home in a couple of days, either. Sam thinks it's because we've entered lockdown, but I'm not quite sure what he means by that. With Dad gone, Mom hasn't had the nerve to leave the house, so we're currently eating whatever she had stored in the pantry in the cellar. I guess I can say I'm glad my mom stocked up in case of nuclear war. At least we won't go hungry anytime soon. Though I am starting to grow tired of eating nothing but vegetables and a small bit of meat every night. Tonight, Sam and I decided to try and sneak out after Mom goes to bed and check the TV for any context on this situation. Mom hasn't let us touch it since we got locked indoors. I hope it'll explain what the heck is going on. October 22nd, 2006 Well, it seems Mother was hiding quite a bit from us, and I'm glad we had the guts to go check the TV before one of us decided to do something stupid and sneak out. Apparently, the WDPCA had a facility breach a couple miles north, and the uptick in missing children is due to that. This is when it hit both Sam and me that Dad probably wasn't coming home. He worked a few hundred yards from the facility, and on the news, we could see his whole office up in smoke. Mom knows. I'm sure of it. It's why she's been so agitated. I... I saw Alice on the news, too. Her face was plastered among the dozen or so other kids that have gone missing since we went on lockdown. I always knew she wasn't a goody two-shoes, but to sneak out? I just didn't think she had it in her. Sam also finally admitted to me that he learned about lockdowns from one of his friends in football. At least this prevented him from sneaking out as well, 
something he has done before. We've decided to give Mom some grace from now on, without trying to be too suspicious. All we can do now is hope they round up the monsters soon so we can get back to everyday life and try to heal. This last entry is heartbreaking, and I had to cobble it together a bit as a lot of the words were blurred out due to tears. You can almost feel the pain my mother went through in the paper itself. Before these journals, I'll be honest, I didn't even know I had an Uncle Sam. All the photos of my mother's childhood were lost in a fire shortly after this journal entry, and my grandmother doesn't remember he existed in the first place. Honestly, she doesn't even remember saving the journal itself from the fire, just that her mind was relieved when she saw it in her hands, standing outside the smoldering house. All right, take a moment to breathe, and we'll get back into it. October 24th, 2006. I need to write this down in case something makes me forget it. Last night... Something took Sam. Mom's still asleep, and I don't know how to tell her this when she wakes up. The things I saw, I don't think I was supposed to. The night started off so easily. Mom had gone to bed, and we could hear her snore at the end of the hall, so we decided to turn the TV back on. For a good hour, we sat in front of it with the volume muted and closed captions on as we got an update on the missing. And then, in a matter of what felt like seconds, the TV screen cut to static and a banner ran across the top. The Wisconsin Department of Paranormal Encrypted Activity is in your area. This is a level 5 monster on the loose in your area. Please proceed to shelter in place. Do not leave your homes. Do not leave your homes. This monster is highly volatile. I may have gotten the wording wrong, but that's what I can remember. Sam and I sat there in shock for a moment before we heard something dragging nails across our living room window. He got up to take a look, and all I can remember is grabbing his sleeve and begging him not to. The way he looked back at me was unnerving. His eyes were wide, and he looked crazed. A smile spreading across his face as he tried to yell whisper. It's dad! Can't you hear it, Aggie? It's dad! But I couldn't. It couldn't be dad. We had come to terms that dad was probably never coming back. It couldn't be him. I tried so hard to reason with him, but his whole expression was that of crazed joy. I remember the feeling of his sleeve leaving my hands as he ripped it from my grasp. I remember the harsh sting as I fell onto the carpet trying to get up to grab him. Before I knew it, he had his hands on the window, and the thing outside of it definitely wasn't Dad. I know, I know I should have gotten up and grabbed him, but my whole body was stuck. The thing outside the window had me in its view and I couldn't move an inch. I watched as Sam opened the window, and before I knew it, the thing had wrapped sickly tentacles around him and forcefully ripped his body through the window. If I do forget this whole event, 
I will be glad to forget the sound of his bones snapping and his body going limp as the window sill took his head. I can only wish to forget the way it rolled in front of me, the expression of elation still plastered on it. Of course, the arms of the thing outside the window took that, too, leaving the window a splatter of blood before letting go of its hold on my body and moving on. I sat there sobbing, curled behind the couch before I saw the sun creep through in the kitchen. How do I tell Mom? I don't... I don't know. I managed to close the window and I'm now in my room curled under my desk. The clawing started again an hour ago. Now, thankfully, as you all are very obviously aware, my mother is still alive, or I wouldn't be here today. And thankfully, since 2006, there have been no more WDPCA facility breaches that we know of. I did try to look this one up, but it seems they scrubbed the internet rather thoroughly after it. So I am grateful now that I hold these journals as a form of context, in case this happens again. I did ask my mother about the missing children of her youth, which she does seem to remember. Apparently a prolific serial killer lived in the area, and he seemed to specifically target young women and girls. She claims he was found shortly after they moved into their new home, so it seems, despite the nightmares of this facility breach, humans themselves can still be quite terrifying. Alright, everyone. It's time for me to pull the curtain shut for the night. Next show, I will bring you the promised Beast of Busco report, and I think I may even see if I am able to share some information on the WDPCA to bring more clarification to their existence. For now, I wish you all a good night and remind you to heed the curfews in your town. By the way... It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your children are? DJ Void, signing off. Thank you, everyone, for listening to this week's episode of Station 13. A special thanks to Lyric of Lapcat Creations and Rain from Onward and Onward for their voices on the show, voicing Garth Strongwater and Misk, respectively. If you're looking to get another fix of fun and horror, why not give Dangerous Times at Chillhaven High a listen? They're currently on hiatus, and now would be a great time to catch up on their prior adventures in the Monster of the Week TTRPG. If you'd like to contact us to submit a cause or story, support our endeavor, or hire a voice actor from the cast, please check out thestation13.com for contact details. We also now are proud to announce we have a temporary Redbubble linked through the station's website, featuring some of the lovely critters and organizations from our show. We also are proud to announce that we are opening our station's Discord channel to the public. Check the notes of the podcast for a link to join us. Come suggest cryptids and stories for the show. Anyway, stay safe out there, and we'll see you all next time.